Happy Father's Day. Would y'all stand for just a moment as we read our scripture passage together? This is from John 17, verses 20 through 23. I'll read and you can follow along in your Bible. John 17, 20 through 23. This is Jesus speaking and it reads, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know that you have sent me, and you have loved them, as you have loved me. You may be seated. What a beautiful passage of scripture that Jesus, uh, as before each Sunday, before we gather together and hear our Sunday school teachers from all the different age groups, we gather together and we pray and we discuss uh, whatever it is that we're teaching and preaching on. And today as Amber was sitting in there, she said when she was in college that uh, someone was talking on this passage from scripture and she said it just really struck her that she realized that in this passage that Jesus Christ was actually praying for her. Do y'all get that? It's like Jesus wasn't just praying for his disciples. He wasn't just praying for Amber. That he was actually praying for you. As he's saying in that passage, he says, but also for those who believe in me through their message. The message that Jesus gave to the disciples. And that message is the good news, the euangelion, the gospel, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and that we have redemption and salvation from our sins. Amen? Amen. I want you to flip in your Bible to Psalm 133. We read the verse 1 is our scripture verse that we read. Joe led us in at the beginning of the service here. I want you to turn to Psalm 133, and I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's only three verses long, so I know some of them are really daunting when there are several pages, 20, 30, 50 verses long, but this is only three verses, so I'm going to read it. Let's follow along. I'm reading from the HCSB. Psalm 133, a Davidic song of ascent. How good and pleasant it is when brothers can live together in unity. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard running down Aaron's beard on his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. I was thinking about each week when I think about like an illustration for the sermon. You know, last week I talked about the idea of desperate dependency and putting everybody's names in the hopper and pulling one out and having someone come up here and finish the sermon for me. Desperate dependency. That this week I was thinking if I could just grow like this massive grizzly beard and read from Psalm 133. It is like fine oil on the head running down on the beard. And I realized, well, there's no way I'm going to really grow a beard in four or five days. So I kind of gave up on that illustration. But when you picture that, when you close your eyes and you just picture that, is it someone taking a jar of fine oil and pouring it on your head and it's just running down your beard? That's what God is saying unity is like. 
How good and pleasant it is when brothers can live together in unity. That's not a sexist statement. It's not just talking about men. It's not just talking about guys. It's not just talking about brothers. It's talking about the people and the family of God. How good and pleasant it is when brothers can live together in unity. It's like fine oil on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. That sounds pretty good, right? That sounds pretty good, right? Golly, it's just oil. It's everywhere. Has that been the history and the testimony of God's people throughout time? Has that been our testimony of unity? It's just good, and it's peaceful, and we live together. And then, as we read in John chapter 17, that that would actually be the thing that draws people who are far away from God. That that would be the thing that when they look and they saw the Israelites, or when they look and they see the church, and they say, Man, look at the way that those people love one another. The way that they just... Oh, it's like oil just running down the beard. I want in on that. Has that been our testimony? And the answer is no, it hasn't. It hasn't. You can look back into the book of Deuteronomy. And the Lord tells Moses to to share these words is that if, if the people of God, if we would obey his commands, if we would keep his laws and his statutes, that he sets aside blessings for us. And if we don't, curses. Blessings and curses all throughout Deuteronomy. Unity and loving and serving God. We look in the book of Joshua. It goes into chapter 24. And it's just amazing to me that all throughout the Old Testament, I get a picture of like taking a little kid and turning him upside down, like maybe something from Dennis the Menace, the old TV show. And, you know, Mr. Wilson maybe picking up Dennis and shaking him and all this stuff just falling out of his pockets. That's the picture that I get of the people of Israel was all throughout their history was like God was picking them up and shaking them and the stuff that fell out of their pockets, idols, all the time. It goes from Judges into the next book, into the next book, and the next, all throughout Kings, all of it. It says another king came along and he had to undo all the damage that the last guy did. It's like he had to tear down all of the high places. He had to get rid of all the stuff that was dedicated to the foreign gods. Cut down the Asherah poles. Get rid of all that stuff. And then in another generation or two, another king comes along and just builds all that stuff back up. And Joshua, it comes to the end of the book, and he's telling the people of Israel, says, throw away all that stuff. Throw away all of the gods of your ancestors. And he says, but if not... Do what seems right in your eyes, but as for me and for my house, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. See, Joshua, as a leader, you can't really force people. It's like the adage is that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And Joshua has this realization. He's like, you people, it's like we can do this all day long. We could shake out your pockets and all those things, but somebody's always going to hold on to a little something. And then in another generation or two, it's going to be everywhere. It's this plague 
Jesus talked about, that was the yeast of the Pharisees. That little bit, that little bit that stays in there, it gets in and it weaves itself into the bread, and the next thing you know, it's everywhere. But as for me and my house, we look at that in Judges. What's the summary of the book of Judges? At the very end, the last verse. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. Turn them upside down, shake them out, and all that stuff falls out. Does that sound like unity? Not at all. In the time of David, David dies, his son Solomon comes onto the throne, and then Solomon passes, and what happens to the kingdom? The kingdom splits, north and south. Was it really over the, their love and their passion for the Lord? No. It was over these silly arguments. Silly arguments that end up leading into division of God's people. And we say, well, that was just in the Old Testament. That, that was them. That's not us. That's not the church, right? Eh, wrong answer. I don't know. Joe said earlier he's a history buff. In 1054, there's a big schism, big rift between the East and the West. And they get into the, it's called the Filioque Controversy. I had to look up how to pronounce that. I'm not trying to act like I'm the Filioque Controversy. And they were saying that the people from the East, where the, the capital was in Damascus, the capital was in Turkey, the idea was that the Holy Spirit only proceeded from the Father. And then the people over in the West, in Rome, they said, well, no. In Scripture, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. And then they draw that line right down the middle. And they say, no, it just comes, no, it comes from the Father and the Son. Do you really think that that's what the root of the problem was? No. We want the capital to be over here. No, we want the capital to be over here. Well, let's find something that we can argue about. Oh, you said it's from the Father and the Son, and we say it's only from the Father. We say that what you're really doing is you're diminishing the deity of the Holy Spirit, and we can't really be a part of that. <laughs> let's draw that line down the middle. Schism, east and west. When was it reconciled? It hasn't been. It's been that way ever since. We have what's called the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they just call themselves Orthodox. And then we have the Catholic Church in the West. What's funny is that the names that we give ourselves, it's really funny. Is that it's like we're really making a stand. Orthodox, we're right. What does that mean about you guys? Uh, you're wrong. Catholic, universal. So if you're not part of the universal church, uh, you're outside of it. So we're Orthodox. We're universal. So what are you saying about the guys on the other side? Because we've got some differences of opinion, maybe because you guys want to meet over there and we want to meet over there, we're going to cause this schism right down the middle. It's not about unity. It's not about Christ and his glory. We say, well, that was way back then. That was like a thousand years ago. No, 500 years ago we had the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther noticed all of the things that were going wrong inside of the Catholic Church. And Martin Luther said, it can't be like this. We can't, we can't extort people, we can't extort money from people and tell them that they have to pay us in order to pray for them. We can't do that. 
There's some ideological and theological differences as well. Salvation by grace alone, not by works. That's the huge part of it. But it's still a rift. And instead of saying, hey, let's come together on this, we draw another line. That happens at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And then there were some people within that group that said, well, we want to reform it from within, the Puritans. And then yet other people who were separatists, the pilgrims. And they said, no, we can't be a part of something that's that atrocious, that's that big of an affront to God, so we're going to go over here. We're going to separate ourselves. Separatists. And some of those people ended up pilgrims. Does that word sound familiar? Where did they land? They landed in America. Guys, that's our beginnings. That's, that's our roots. That's our beginnings. That's where we find our identity. So we come over and we're, now that's America's getting its start, the pilgrims. And then we have these theological ideas that start to manifest themselves as the Declaration of Independence. We're independent, right? We're Americans. We don't need to listen to what the king over there has to say. So we draw another line. Meanwhile, over there, they're drawing lines. And then we're drawing lines on top of lines. And then we're like, well, the Lutherans, you guys think this way, and that's not really how we feel about it, so we're going to be Baptists because we feel this way about it. And then within the Baptists, you've got other lines that are being drawn. And then you fast forward into the 1800s. Ten years before this church was founded, 1845, there was a convention that was called the General Missionary Convention. It was the primary convention for Baptists in the United States. The primary one. And then we have some ideological differences. And then the Southern Baptists say, we're going to separate ourselves from those guys. And then we have another division. And then fast forward to the 1990s. Many of you have heard the controversy between the Baptist General Convention of Texas, the BGCT, and the SBTC, the Southern Baptist Texas Convention. So then we've got another division. Well, you guys are a little too moderate for us. Your position on the authority of Scripture, that's not really where we line up, so we're going to draw another line. We're going to separate ourselves. And then we go back and we read in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers can live together in unity. And we have this world that's on the outside, right? And they're looking in. And they're watching you. And you're sitting there and you come home from your conference and those guys are, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. What? You want to tell me about Jesus when you're sitting there shaking your fish? Ah, oh, those guys, our position on the authority of Scripture. Ah. And we're sitting there and we're, oh, we're mad at them. And we're drawing with that. You're not really a Christian. You're not, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. I did some research over the last couple of days. Just within the last 10 years, this is poetry, right? Poetry, Texas. And we're actually part of Terrell, Texas. And I did some research, and I looked. In the last 10 years, the percentage of non-religious, non-religious in Terrell, Texas, has gone up over 13% in the last 10 years. Non-religious. The percentage of evangelical Christians in the same area in Terrell, Texas, has gone down 20% or more. That's just from basic internet research. And we sit back and we're sitting there talking about, what's our mission? We're, we're supposed to be invested in saving lost people. We're supposed to be a light. And we come and we gather together on Sunday mornings and we say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to glorify Christ. 
and we're going to have all these programs and we're going to do all these things and we're going to do all this stuff and we're going we're to advance the kingdom of God, right? We're going to advance it. And then we look at the numbers and the numbers say, how are we doing, guys? Are we winning that battle? We're not winning that battle because we constantly, continually divide. We're divisive. This church splits up and then it forms another church over there. It's one thing for a church to grow and to be grown so healthy that we're going to plant another church. That's not the same as a split. You're planting healthy churches from within a healthy church. And then, yeah, you have a new... And then we're sister churches. And we're just able to minister to people in a new area or an extension of this church somewhere else. But that hasn't been our testimony for a long, long time. I'm not talking about Poetry Baptist Church. I'm talking about the Christian church. John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus prays for all believers. I'm going to read this several times this morning because I want it to soak in. I want you to get it. I pray not only for these, he's talking about his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. May they all be, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That's what Jesus desires for us. When we think about the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, do you see Jesus getting mad at the Father? Oh, I can't believe you want me to go down there to earth. You want me to die on a cross for those people? Those, those children of wrath? You want me to? Why don't you do it, Dad? Why don't you go down there and die for those people? I'm going to start my own universe over here. But that's how we act. That's how we act as a church. We come up with these things and we say, well, it's philosophical differences. Philosophical differences. Garbage! Jesus is praying that we would be one, and if we can't do that, then we have no testimony. Don't we see that right here? Isn't that what we see in Scripture? That when we take all that other stuff aside, and we go in here and we read John 17, may they also be one in us, so the world may believe the world's going to believe because we're one that's not saying that we jettison doctrine if someone comes along and says well i want to start a church that doesn't really have any doctrine it's just all about warm fuzzies that's not what jesus is talking about he's talking about people who believe in god the father god the son god the holy spirit that we believe in christ in his substitutionary death and atonement at the cross, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his interceding for us, in his sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, that's what he's talking about. And if we can agree on those things, then a lot of the other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you guys want your capital to be over there, knock yourselves out. You know what? Jesus humbled himself and came down from heaven to die on a cross. If you guys need us to go over to your place to meet, if that's what makes you feel better, by all means. We're going to travel from Rome and we're going to go over to your place. That's what Christians should do. But that's not our history. That's not what we do. Step one, recognize, diagnose, discern. The Lordship of Christ. 
That's what we're supposed to do, the very first step. Can you guys uh, put the next slide up there for me? The quote from Tozer. I know this is kind of a long quote, but it's important. It's something I read this week and I was like, man, this is so spot on. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of Mansoul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Ouch. Ouch. I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9. If you're reading that quote from Tozer and you say, I don't know if I agree with all that. I don't know about this idea of dying to self and got to go to the cross and I don't know. Jesus did that. Far be it for me to have to go to a cross. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, this is Jesus, said to them all, if anyone, who's he talking about? Anyone. If anyone, not just one of these 12 guys, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, step one, take up his cross, how often? Daily. Not one and done. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Does he say that it's optional? He puts the word must. He must do these things. I always tell my children, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you always got. I know that's, that's the hillbilly in me. It's like, do what you always done, you're going to get what you always got is when they're sitting there and they're trying to solve something and it doesn't work and then they try and do it the exact same way. And then they do the exact same way and they do the exact same way. And as a father, I'm standing there off to the side and I want them to wrestle with it, creative problem solving. And then I speak into it and I say, if you keep doing it the same way, you're probably going to get the same result. Try something different. Flip it upside down. Look underneath it. Come from this angle. Try this. Use something else. Oh, I didn't really think about that. As the church, if we keep doing what we've always done, what's going to happen? We're going to get what we always got. Division. Separation. What's our testimony to a lost and dying world? Look at the statistics. Look at the numbers. In America... How many churches are closing annually? A lot. How many church plants are starting? A fraction of the number that's closing. Look at the numbers. This isn't unique to Terrell. This isn't unique to Texas. This isn't unique to America. 
See, today in the United States, those numbers are happening everywhere. Why? Why is it happening? Because people on the outside look in and they say, those people aren't unified. They may not express it that way, but that's what they see. I don't know if y'all ever saw the movie Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. He's a golfer. I'm not, so this is a horrible swing. But one point in the movie, Kevin Costner takes a shot, and bloop, it goes into the drink. And he sits there, and he's got so much pride. And he's like, no, I can make that shot. And he tries it again. Bloop, and it goes in the drink. And he just sits there over and over and over again. Bloop, into the drink. Into the drink over and over and over again. And that's what we as Christians do. We sit here and we think we've got our theology sound, we've got our doctrine sound, we gather at churches on Sundays, and then we look out in the world, and it's going down the toilet. And then we say, we're just going to keep going to church on Sunday. Boop. We're not going to do anything different. We don't have to change. They're the ones that have to change. Mission station mentality. We've got, we've got the words of life if you want them. Come in the doors. Come on in the doors to Poetry Baptist Church on Sunday morning. And Jesus said, no. I came down from heaven. I set the example for you. I was born in a manger. I endured all the garbage, all the hate, all the malice, all of it. And I went to a cross. Was it right that he had to do that? No. That's grace. That's love. Is that who we are as a church? Step number two, relinquish. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. And get your, get your Bible workout going this morning. Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read the first four verses, and then I'm going to skip forward a little bit. So, after I looked... And there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And there in heaven was a throne was set. One was seated on the throne. And the one seated looked like jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed and white clothes, and gold crowns were on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and thunder. Burning before the throne were seven fiery torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And then we fast forward over to verse 10. The 24 elders fell down before the one seated on the throne, worshiped the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and said, our Lord, our God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And because your will, they exist and were created. I found out this week that that's where the, the group, the Christian uh, group casting crowns, that's where they got their name. It was from Revelation chapter 4. This idea that, do you all realize when you read that, that these are the elders in heaven, this is the vision that John's having. And he's there in the throne room, and the elders are still, still in heaven, 
approaching the throne of Christ, and they're taking off their crowns, still, in heaven, and they're casting them down. See, Jesus said, pick up your cross daily, and follow, that even into eternity, this small picture that we have in Revelation is that we're still going to be taking off our crowns in eternity, and we're going to be laying them at the feet of Jesus. Forever. See, it's not that when we get to heaven, like, we're good. Jesus gave me my crown. I'm good. I don't really have to check in anymore. Uh, Jesus, just show me which universe is mine, and I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to rule it with the iron fist, the one that do things the way I want to do them. No. It's all His. And we're going to go before Him and we're going to worship. Holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. And we're going to lay down our crowns at the feet of Jesus. What's your agenda? What's your agenda? When you think about what is it that you want to accomplish What's your goal? This morning I was talking with the Sunday school teachers and one of them said that if we can't agree on a goal, where it is we're going as a church, we're probably going to run into some problems, right? Because some people are going to be going, well, we're going over this way. And some people are going, well, I think that we should take our resources and our energy and we should drive it over this way. And that's what ends up causing problems. Part of the reason why we're doing this entire series on core values, like I said at the beginning, is I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not coming up here and saying, hey, as a Fortune 500 company, these are the things that are important to us so that we can increase our profit margin. That's okay for secular businesses. That's fine. Nobody opens up a business so that they can fail. But as a church, the reason why we're going through core values is because through this process, we're going to begin casting a vision. And we're going to cast a mission. What is the mission of Poetry Baptist Church? Through the six, six and a half months that I've been here, I've, people come up to me and they say, Pastor, I think it would be really great if we did this. I say, you're right. It would be really great. Somebody else will come up, Pastor, it would be really great if we did this. What if we started one of these? I think that would be really great. You're right. It would be really great. But hold off for a second. Why? Because we have no mission. We don't have a mission statement as a church. People say, well, we have a mission statement. It's been on the front of our church for 50 years now. If the church is the people and the people who weren't here 50 years ago, and the demographic and the geography has changed around us, your vision doesn't change. But your mission does. See, because the vision is, what has God given you the ability to discern what he desires for the people of Poetry Baptist Church? That's the vision. It's a snapshot. If I sat down and said, what's our vision as a church? And you had to paint it out, maybe it would look like a bunch of stick figures if I had to do it. But if you were a, a skilled artist and you could really paint something out, and it was like one of those beautiful portraits of like, you know, just... Americana, something beautiful. You could just make a snapshot and somebody could look at that and say, yeah, that's it. That's the vision. That's the vision of poetry. What would that look like? And our mission, I've been at churches in the past where I said, well, what's our vision? And they're like, well, it's this. And I say, well, what's our mission? The same thing. Your mission and your vision can't be the same thing. Your mission is how you get from where you are 
to where God wants you to be? How do you get from where you are today to the vision? And so over time, your mission changes. Once you've accomplished this over five years, ten years, then you go back and you change your mission. We've accomplished that. Now we've got a new stage so that we can get closer to the vision. And maybe we tweak the vision a little bit. My point in all of this is saying, what's our agenda? What's your agenda? What is it that you are trying to accomplish? And if it's not the same thing on board with all the people in Poetry Baptist Church, we're doomed to failure because we're not united. See, early on we said beliefs drive behaviors. But beliefs don't just drive behaviors, they manifest themselves as our behaviors, right? That picture of that iceberg, beliefs are the big part underneath the water. You get up to the top and there's the water level and at the very top you see our, belief, our behaviors. See, the beliefs are underwater and they manifest themselves as our behaviors. What are the words that come out of your mouth? You see that in scripture, right? What are your behaviors? What are the things that you're doing? That's what really tells people what your beliefs are. All of our efforts, all of our resources, all of our energy, it needs to go into our mission. John 17. Let's look there again. Once again, John 17. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. So the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be, I messed up on this earlier, may they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me. That's our testimony. Step one was to recognize and diagnose and discern. Where are we in this process? Step two is to relinquish, to lay down that crown. And step three is to remember. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter two. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's right in there. Ephesians chapter two. I think the problem is when I say remember is that oftentimes we forget. We forget where we came from. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds us. Chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. You were dead. Do you realize that? Do you remember that? You were dead. I always love thinking of the movie The Princess Bride. There's a big difference between all dead and mostly dead. Because with mostly dead, you're still partly alive. You were dead, not mostly dead. You were all dead. All dead. In which you previously walked, according to this worldly age, according to the rulers of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. See, we did the stuff that we wanted to do because we wanted to do it. That's not unity. But, verse 4, 
But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you were saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are his poema. We. It doesn't say you individually. We are God's masterpiece. Together. One giant tapestry. One giant painting. One giant masterpiece of God. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance so that we should walk in them. And then you can look forward. I'm not going to read it, but you go forward into chapter 4. And it talks about the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. Remember, we were separated. We were excluded. We were alienated. We were without hope. We were without God. We were far away, but we've been brought near. In chapter 4, it talks about how the two have become made one. That Christ has wrecked, he's knocked down that dividing wall. Why? Why has he done that? Why? Why did Christ break down the dividing wall between the two to make one? Why? To make one, unity. We look at Christ and we look at him and we see the picture of the church. What his bride is supposed to be. Humble, gentle, patient. Verse 11, it was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. This is from chapter 4, evangelist, pastor, teacher. All those things in chapter 4. And the thing that's beautiful about it, the thing that's beautiful about it is that Christ did all of these things to create the body. It's just beautiful. If I can find my spot here. We will no longer be children. It talks, let's see, in verse 12. He gives some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers for the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. That's 12. And then in 13 it says what? Until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son, growing into mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness then we will no longer be little children. And I just wonder, as I prepared this week, in your life, if you were to do a self-assessment, and you were to look at this, and you were to say, where am I? You picture like a little kid, and you've got like a measuring tape, and they were to stand over next to it, say, where am I in my, in my maturity, in my growth and development? You've got a little boy who's a little over six years old, and he's a big six-year-old, but you put him up on the wall, and next year he's going to be a little bit taller. And he's going to be a little bit taller. And when he's probably 12, he's going to be taller than me because he's a big kid. Where are we as a church when we stand in front of that little measuring tape and we measure ourselves? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. And then in verse 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. 
See, not only the problem with the church is the wind of false teachings, everything that comes along, but it's selfishness. It's agenda. We start thinking, I want to accomplish my stuff. I want to advance my agenda. I want to get my stuff done. Unity. To no longer be infants. See, the beauty of what Christ has done, we see that in John chapter 17. I'm going to read it one last time. The reason why this is so critically important is I want you all to understand that as Jesus was moving forward, he's going to the cross, this was the prayer that he had. Right before he went to Gethsemane, the last thing that he prayed for with his disciples, he prayed to the Father, and he's sitting there and he prays. In the beginning of 17 for himself, and then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. He prays for you, Vincent, and he prays for you, Poppy, and Amber, and Brian, and Jeremy, and Jeff, and Tanya, and Christine, and Kevin, and Bud, and Linda. I pray not only for these, his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one. As you, Father, in me, and I am in you, may they also be one in us, so the world may believe. So the world may believe. Everything that we do as a church has to be filtered through John 17. So you can't sit there and say, well, I got my stuff all figured out, but that person over there, that guy at the church, ah. We have to be one as the body of Christ. Let's pray together.